COVID-19 on campus. What has been the impact of the virus on the finances of local colleges and universities? Can schools keep tuition in check? With the state facing a budget crunch, the head of Florida's Senate thinks the cost of public higher education may have to increase. I think that is a viable opportunity. I'm Jessica Bakeman. And I'm Tom Hudson. This is a special Sunshine Economy, Class of COVID-19, the pandemic and public higher education. Top leaders of four regional public colleges and universities will join us discussing how the pandemic has affected enrollment, virtual classes, and the cost of a degree. Plus, how is higher education keeping its commitment to address racial injustice? It's all ahead on the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. After new Republican State Senate President Wilton Simpson was officially appointed to his new leadership post in November, a reporter asked him if state university tuition increases would be on the table. Legislators are tackling a very tight budget thanks to the pandemic. This was his response. I think that is a viable opportunity. We want to make sure that we maintain a very high level of higher education. But at the same time, we have kids that are in and out of foster care because we don't have resources to be able to manage that system. And so when you start putting priorities together, I'm going to have a higher priority to make sure we're taking care of those most vulnerable children. And it's something we're going to have to look at. Tuition and fees for in-state students at Florida's public universities are about $5,600 a year on average. The last time that went up was in 2013, and even then it was less than a 2% increase. Any effort this year to hike the cost of public higher education will be met with Democratic opposition in Tallahassee. Gary Farmer is a state senator from Fort Lauderdale and the Democratic minority leader. In a time of uh, economic downturn uh, with so many people, suffering economically, uh, that's not a time that we should be raising uh, the cost of tuition. It's already hard enough for young people. Our economy is changing before our very eyes. That's from an interview with Senator Farmer that will be on WLRN television February 24th at 7 p.m. as part of our statewide project, Class of COVID-19, an education crisis for Florida's vulnerable students. This is a special live edition of the Sunshine Economy, Class of COVID-19. For all the reporting or to sign up for the newsletter, be sure to visit classofcovid.org. So to talk about the effects of potential tuition hikes in Florida, Florida Atlantic University President John Kelly and Florida International University Chief Operating Officer Provost Ken Furton are along with us on this special live edition of the Sunshine Economy. Welcome to both of you. President Kelly, let's start with you. Would you support any tuition increase for FAU students? Well, we try our best, obviously, to come up with ways that the students don't have to have a tuition increase. Uh, And if we have the federal CARES funds, which we do have some and we have more on the way, we're hopeful that uh, we'll be able to supplement some of their cost of tuition through some of the federal funds. Um, Our students at FAU, about 65% of them are working while they're going to school. And when I was a student, I worked while I went to school too. Uh, But if you're working a lot of hours, you tend to not have the same amount of time to go ahead and get the classes taken that you need to take uh, to be able to complete your degree on time. And so anything we can do to try to make sure that our students finish in the shortest time possible is our ultimate goal. 
There's always a mix of revenue sources to come up with the, the ultimate tuition for the university. Uh, the student is the source of that. And the, as you heard from the Senate president, the Florida Senate president, uh, he's putting on the table in a very real way the potential of the student contribution increasing for the first time in a number of years. Is that, uh, is that possible, President Kelly? It's certainly possible. Uh, I just don't know what the you know end product will be. These negotiations take a long time. Yeah. Uh, it's back and forth, people trying to figure out exactly what's the best thing. Considering the, the value of this program uh, across the country, one of the highest ranked of all education systems in the United States, uh, it's hard to put too much financial burden on the students. Sometimes putting scholarships in place is an easy way to adjust for that. So uh, figuring out ways that we can put the financial resources there. But if there are tuition increases, uh, then it puts more pressure on us as a university. Let's go out and find more donor support. How do we find the people willing to put some financial resources behind these students so the ones that are most at risk uh, do have still access to finishing college on time? Provost Furton, the uh, the Senate president mentioned that the cost of uh, public university tuition in Florida is the second lowest in the nation. Uh, 49th, 50th, the lowest is in Wyoming. Lots of big differences between Wyoming and Florida, certainly. Population and weather just being one, well, just being two of them. But wondering, uh, is there room for student tuition to increase? Should there be room? Is it advisable? Uh, Provost Furton for an increase in student tuition. Yeah, I think um, very similar to what President Kelly uh, spoke about is we, uh, most of our students here at Florida International University are also working either uh, part-time or full-time and have uh, significant financial challenges. So uh, we're very uh, excited and proud that we have one of the lowest tuitions in the state. And as President Kelly said, we're ranked as, as a system, uh, number one in U.S. News and World Report. And so we um, are planning moving forward that uh, we the tuition will remain uh, as it is, and we will uh, offset with private fundraising, things of that nature. So the reason that the tuition can be this low is the generous support of the legislature. So it's always a balance. You know, part comes from the, the students paying tuition, and then uh, the remainder comes from private sources as well as uh, the state. And um, and the state has been very generous uh, to the system in order for us to ch- achieve this number one ranking. Well, so, Provost uh, Furton, this is Jessica mm-hmm. Bakeman. Uh, speaking of the legislature, you know, we heard that comment from Senate President Wilton Simpson. And in it, he sort of pits foster children against college students, giving the example that, you know, of course, the state budget is always a competitive process. When money goes to one place, it has to come from another place. Um, but I'm curious what you make of that particular comparison, I guess, pitting foster children against college students. Are there other places in the budget you'd rather see lawmakers cut from to, you know, keep a tuition uh, increase from happening? Well, I, I would say that, you know, I would leave that to the legislature to work out, you know, how best to appropriate uh, funds. There's always a, you know, trade-off between various different areas and um, at, at the university system, as I said, we're, you know, we, we believe that through the CARES Act funding and, and um, savings that we've been working on, that uh, whether there's a tuition increase or not, that we can maintain the quality education to our students.
And I'm hearing from both of you that, you know, you're hoping for federal funding as well as philanthropic funding to help, you know, make ends meet going through a difficult budget time um, without having to necessarily put that burden more on students. Um, but what about additional state funding? Would uh, President Kelly, would you rather see a tax increase, whether on individuals or businesses to generate revenue for the state university system? I doubt Florida is going to have much of an uh, interest in individual income tax increase uh, or, or income tax at all. Um, I would think that we would think look more toward opportunities to utilize the federal funding for this interim period. Uh, we are moving through COVID and we're all learning a lot during this time. We're learning a lot about how much it costs to keep a university open because of all the cleaning we have to do, all the unique things we were teaching both in person and online at the same time, many times. And so making those kinds of adjustments uh, will make us a better university on the other side of this, but it is a little bit of a tough road right now as we learn more and more how to engage the student of today, the COVID student, compared to what we had before, but hopefully we'll get back to uh, normal after the vaccines are out and have the more traditional college experience. With, with that said, though, I think we'll be a lot better prepared to serve the student of tomorrow because we will have learned so much about their learning style and distance ed opportunities to supplement their coursework. If they have, for instance, in the future, conflicting uh, scheduling problems where you've got two courses, you need to graduate, you need both courses, they have to be taught at the same time. Now there looks to be an opportunity to have one of those to be taught online, since we've learned so much about doing online, uh, and then others to be taught in person. So my hope is that uh, without tax increases or things like that, we would be able to move forward uh, and continue the education process, uh, maybe more enhanced than before, Certainly, uh, we've learned a lot during COVID about what a student wants, needs, and can afford. President Kelly, uh, what about the budget at FAU? You mentioned just the higher cost of cleaning, personal protective equipment, masks, social distancing. Uh, what are you anticipating in terms of the cost uh, at FAU, your bottom line budget? Is it increasing in the next year? And if so, by how much? The budget overall will increase, uh, but, you know, again, a lot of this is one-time funds coming in uh, from the federal CARES mm -hmm. program that allow us to do all these extra things. So uh, you don't without... expect those costs to continue on after the pandemic, though? No. I see. No. And, and, and Provost Ferton, how about at FIU? What does the bottom line budget look like for the university? Uh, yes, very similar to uh, FAU. We're... Um... We've had significant impact on our budget, primarily through auxiliary revenues, things like the lost revenues from housing and um, bookstore and uh, right. things of that nature. But that is offset by uh, the, the funding that we've received. For, and, it, and these are one-time uh, reductions. We expect that they um, next year would return back to normal revenue okay. sources. Yeah, so one-time costs. Uh, we recently spoke with Rene Placencia. He represents an area between Orlando and the Space Coast in the Florida House. He's a Republican. He's the chair of the Higher Education Appropriations Subcommittee, where those budget dollars will begin in the legislative process. He said the merit-based Bright Futures Scholarship Program may be squeezed this session. With the type of budget shortfall that we have, there is nothing that's off the table, and Bright Futures is definitely something that's under consideration. Bright Futures, as each of you know, covers up to 100% of 
tuition and fees, $300 a semester for books designed to reward the highest achieving students in Florida, trying to retain them in Florida with Florida universities, eligibility based on uh, uh, academic performance. Uh, the legislature cut Bright Futures after the Great Recession 12, 13 years or so ago. The program was partially restored just a couple of years ago. Will you be taking any steps, uh, Provost Ferton, to advocate against Bright Futures to fully fund that program in the year ahead? Well, we, I mean, we're very um, supportive of the Bright Futures program, obviously, because uh, any sources of funds that can help our students uh, not to uh, go into debt and to graduate as quickly as possible um, are very helpful. So, I mean, we always advocate for the program, but again, you know, it, um, we are, we are making contingencies so that in any case we will be able to offset any reductions that may come um, or increases that can come uh, so that our students will be successful. Tell us about what those contingencies may be if bright futures cuts back to less than 100% of tuition and fees for qualifying students? Well, we, our financial aid office always works on a, on a mix of sources of funds, uh, including private funds. So actually, after, we, even with the CARES Act money that we received in the first round, uh, we needed to supplement additional funds. And we uh, raised that with uh, private donations. Mm -hmm. And so it's always uh, a mix of different sources that will go into the packages for the students when they start, particularly the new students that will be coming in in the fall. We're talking about Bright Futures, which, of course, is merit-based, as Tom mentioned. It's, you know, based on students' academics or high school GPA, SAT, and ACT scores. But what about need-based aid, especially during a time when, you know, inequity is just being exacerbated? We're seeing students who are already, you know, at a greater disadvantage and who are already facing bigger obstacles to success in higher education um, really get hit hardest by this pandemic. Do you think the legislature should focus resources on the neediest students, uh, Provost Ferton? I, I think that's the neediest students are what we've experienced with the with the this year of uh, COVID nineteen have been impacted the greatest, and um, so so we have been able to support a large number of those students, or you know, a, a significant number that um, have needed additional funds through the CARES Act money that we received and also private fundraising. So, um, so we'd always be support, obviously very supportive of the, the uh, students who are in most need. We also did programs such as providing laptops and uh, Wi-Fi access and mm -hmm. things of that nature to the students directly. Um, and that has continued uh, throughout the year uh, because the students who are in the greatest need oftentimes don't have the same resources in terms of technology and so forth. So we were able to and would continue uh, that through whatever sources of funds are available. Right, right. And and if, you know, financial aid sources, whether merit-based or need-based, you know, if there's less of that going forward, that could mean, you know, more student loan debt being taken out by students. The Biden administration has pledged to do something about that. Um, President Biden has proposed forgiving up to $10,000 per person for uh, for former students who have student loan debt. Uh, President Kelly, would you like to see that happen? It'd be wonderful for our students. Um, you know, since most of our students, uh, I think at FIU and I know here uh, are working while they're going to school, 
um, the jobs that those students typically held were in the retail or hospitality sectors. Both of those sectors have been really hampered by uh, the COVID virus. So uh, because of the uniqueness of this, this past year now, um, I think anything that would reduce the overall debt that students have would be a tremendous benefit. Uh, there's a risk that a lot of these students will either stop out or drop out if they can't figure out a way to continue their education, or they may take fewer credit hours, uh, which still slows them down. Uh, and, and, but if you don't have the financial resources to go, you, you just you can't go. And um, us figuring out, a, I guess, a, a complex set of strategies and almost individualized by each student, what would it take to help them get through college the fastest? And, and that's one thing the SUS uh, State University system has done really well is we are all measured on how fast we get students through the pipeline. Uh, so we're constantly striving to make sure that students graduate at least within six years, if you're going part-time or preferably four years. Uh, that cost alone of not continuing your education over seven or eight or nine years uh, part-time allows you to get into a much higher paying job after potentially four or six years. So our strategy has been a hard push on everything we can to get the resources a student needs, whether it's putting together our own on-campus jobs for students or helping them find internships that allow them to get a better job after graduation at the least cost and the least amount of debt. President Kelly, stick with us. Uh, John Kelly is with us, leader of Florida Atlantic University. Provost uh, Kenneth Furton is the chief operating officer at Florida International University. They're going to stick with us as we're talking here on the Sunshine Economy about uh, the cost of college, class of COVID-19, a special edition. It will continue with Florida's public universities preparing students for today's and tomorrow's jobs. That's next. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. We're back with this special Class of COVID-19 Sunshine Economy to explore the whole series from Florida Public Media on how the pandemic has affected education in Florida. Visit classofcovid.org. There you can listen to our radio special, read the stories, and sign up for our newsletter. And check back next week for our upcoming television program. Again, that's classofcovid.org. In November, Republican House Speaker Chris Sprouls gave his first speech in the powerful position. He offered a similar message on public higher education as what we've heard from GOP leaders in the past. The idea that not all academic programs have the same return on investment for Florida taxpayers. Our taxpayer funded colleges and universities should not be job training centers, but they also cannot divorce themselves from the economic needs of our state. And while our public universities should offer a full range of degree options, it does not follow that we should subsidize every degree to the same degree. That applause coming from other members of the Florida House. Former Governor, now U.S. Senator Rick Scott, has taken the same position in the past, maybe most famously or or infamously a decade ago when he uh, got some pushback after saying that Florida didn't need more anthropologists. The context was similar then. It was an economic crisis that was forcing some tough budget decisions. Still with us, we have John Kelly, the president of Florida Atlantic University in Boca Raton, and Kenneth Furton, provost and chief operating officer at Florida International University in Miami. 
Uh, starting with President Kelly, do you agree with Senator Scott's point or, or Speaker Sproul's point that degrees that are less likely to lead to a job in a high demand field are less worthy of investment? Well, I think one of the things we are always doing is really looking at enrollments. You know, where, where are students uh, expressing their highest level of interest? Uh, a lot of times, while the name of a degree might sound, you know, one way and you have a form of perception, the opportunities in the marketplace might be quite different because uh, places are looking for things like uh, human resource people. If you're looking for human resource help, uh, people who have degrees like psychology might be very beneficial to thinking through the processes of what a person needs to be satisfied at, at their work. Uh, same thing with an anthropologist. Uh, with that said, though, the universities do have a responsibility to look at the uh, overall curriculum at the degrees offered and determine if there are some cost savings that can be used uh, with either combining degrees or figuring out ways that degrees are offered in a different way. Uh, perhaps even just online, some of the degrees versus in person. So a lot of those things, uh, COVID-19 has given us a time for reflection. I've put together a task force here. Uh, part of their job is to go find all the efficiencies they can within uh, the degree offering sector, looking at where faculty might be able to teach maybe in two or three different departments if needed. Uh, and so I think uh, efficiency-wise, we're forced to look at some of those questions that are being asked. President Kelly, are any degrees currently under active review? Yes. Yes, Which we have ones? several that are under degree. Which ones? Uh, I'd rather let us work on that uh, because we have not discussed that with the whole campus. Uh, so uh, some of the degrees that we're looking at are ones that are just primarily low enrollment types of degrees or degrees that might be combined. And uh, Provost Ferton at FIU, are, are certain degrees under review about whether or not to continue them as, as in a pre-pandemic environment? Yes. So we actually have a, an ongoing process where we look at um, low enrolling programs that uh, would generally are more expensive to run because of the, you know, the, the operating costs of faculty and so forth. And what we're really focused on, though, is actually adding new degrees in areas of strategic emphasis. So the, the Florida Board of Governors has um, identified the degrees that have the highest uh, need within the state and, and typically result in higher um, employment rates and, and actually salaries of those employed. So we've been adding new degrees like the Internet of Things and um, <clears throat> crime science and other uh, areas that we know um, there is a demand based on industry needs. And uh, by focusing these new programs, then we're encouraging students to either consider uh, moving into these majors or or picking up a second major or a minor in the areas that are more competitive. Provost Ferton, uh, we heard from a speaker, Chris Sprowls, before. He has also recommended a 50% tuition discount for students who take only virtual courses. He calls that a free seat scholarship because students' physical seat in the classroom would be empty. What do you, what do you make of that idea? Well, w what we find is that, you know, the all of the courses that we deliver, whether they're um, since the pandemic, we've had a, a number of uh, what we call synchronous remote courses. Uh, but before the, the pandemic, we uh, have a, a very high number of uh, synchronous um, or fully asynchronous uh, quality design online classes. Uh, and the Florida Board of Governors has a, a goal to about 40% of the courses to be delivered in that mode of delivery. But actually to do 
to do it well, to do those virtual classes, it costs um, actually a little bit more when you include all the technology costs than, than in the classroom. And so uh, I believe that it's, it's really a mix. And, and most of our students take a combination of, you know, fully in-person hybrid classes online, depending on their schedules and availability. Provost, for apologies the for the interruption, okay. but I just want to make sure I understood you right. The, the virtual seat is ultimately more expensive than the physical seat in terms of the cost uh, of the education for the university? Well, with the, the I, I believe if uh, in terms of a virtual seat, if we're referring to um, synchronous remote types of courses. Mm-hmm. All um, online. We, yeah, all, well, there's all online, which are, are done um, synchronously. And those, we um, haven't fully analyzed the cost associated with those, but we plan on, on sunsetting those courses and then when you say synchronously i'm sorry to interrupt when you say that you mean um when a student at home is watching a live video of a class that's also happening in person on campus right right and we're and we're only doing that really during this emergency situation because of COVID 19. our plan in this summer um summer b and fall is to go back to either fully in-person hybrid or our um, asynchronous uh, quality design online classes. So we're so so there probably is a lower cost for those synchronous courses, but that's just for the time being. And then we we don't expect those to continue um, past the summer. So last fall, Florida State Universities were seeing a steep drop in applications for next academic year. That has rebounded for some, like at the University of Florida and Florida State University. But I'm curious what applications look like at FAU and FIU. President Kelly? We are, uh, the first fall, we were uh, about where we normally are, a slight increase, so 700 and something students over the fall of 2019 to 2020. So that was pre-COVID. We're going to be down a little bit, probably around 3% uh, is what I'm thinking it's going to look like, uh, 25 to 3% on the uh, number of students that come to the university. Uh, whether those are uh, students that are new enrollees, which is what it appears to be, uh, or going to be the existing students that have to take a stop out. Uh, we're not quite sure. It depends somewhat too. Uh, we can close that gap depending on how much CARES fund comes that's available for scholarshiping. So uh, if we do get the scholarship funds that we're expecting, uh, we believe that we'll close that gap and be about where we were. We're around uh, 31,000 students uh, at the university, not nearly as large as um, FIU is. Uh, but our goal is to try to stay at about that number. We're not trying to get bigger right now. We're trying to stay at that uh, same number, around 30,000, 31,000 students. So it sounds like the problems that are keeping students from enrolling or staying are financial. If you think that uh, an increase in scholarship funding would close the gap and make those students able to attend. Very much so. And uh, lots of universities around the country are actually seeing record applications, um, but not from low-income students, uh, first-generation college students, and students of color. Uh, Provost Furton, how about at FIU? What do the applications look like, and are you seeing uh, disparities among those who are applying? So so similar to uh, Florida Atlantic University, we're seeing um, a small decrease at the moment, about right down, we're, we're currently about 5% down in um, the freshman applications for the fall, and we we expect to try to close that gap um, as uh, uh, as it gets closer to the fall uh, semester, and we are actually seeing a similar 
number of say full Pell students that are applying. And uh, we, you know, our, I think like, like FAU, the majority of our students actually uh, come from our community. So our students look, look like, uh, you know, the Miami and, and Broward County where the majority of our students come from. And we're still seeing a significant, you know, strong applications from, from both the um, uh, low income and moderate income students, as well as, yeah. uh, you know, across the state. Let me just note that the the Pell grant system is a federal government grant system for college students. About uh, uh, the relative drop in um, enrollment you're expecting at this point, uh, Provost Furton, uh, how much, if any of it, do you attribute to the fact that Florida public universities are still requiring SAT and ACT test scores for admission, the only state in the nation that still continues to require those assessments for admission? Uh, we I don't we don't have a um, a read on uh, whether that has contributed to the, the the small decline that we have at the moment. Uh, I would say overall uh, our enrollments are, are actually uh, very strong. Our actually our fall numbers were higher this fall than than last fall. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are also uh, encouraging um, additional students to take the uh, ACT on campus. For example, uh, we're running through our, our office of testing and certification. And we've been working very carefully with, uh, you know, the, the Miami-Dade County Public Schools and, and working on making sure that the, um, any delays in taking the standardized test, um, we close that gap and allow those students to, to be fully admitted for the fall. Uh, Provost uh, Kenneth Furton is uh, the Chief Operating Officer at Florida International University. John Kelly is the President at Florida Atlantic University. Stick with us, gentlemen. We've got a lot more to talk about here, and we're going to have some additional voices come in speaking about the state of state colleges here in the Sunshine State, how they are facing the financial challenges brought on by COVID-19. It's all ahead. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy on WLRN. Thanks for listening. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. For this special Class of COVID-19 episode of the Sunshine Economy, we're talking with leaders of public higher education institutions in South Florida about how the pandemic has affected their finances and their students. For the whole series and to sign up for our newsletter, please visit classofcovid.org. Miami-Dade College's new president finds herself taking over the largest community college in the nation during a budget crunch. During Madeline Pumariega's final interview for the job back in November, she offered some ideas about how to raise revenue for the college in a difficult economy, like creating employer matches, where businesses help pay for students to take classes that strengthen skill sets. And so those are just ideas, and I can tell you that one of them to generate revenue won't be increasing student tuition and fees. And that's hard. But if we want to stay accessible and affordable, we're going to have to make tough decisions so that we help families out of this and we help our community out of the COVID environment. President Pumariega joins us here on the Sunshine Economy. You listen back to uh, your own statement there in November, President. Uh, can you still stick with that uh, pledge to not increase student fees, student tuition? Um, Absolutely. Uh, Good morning. Thanks for having me. And to uh, my colleagues from FIU and FAU, I've enjoyed listening to them this morning. Um, Absolutely. I think that uh, we are the community's college and the the community is going to need us 
uh, to help them navigate as we recover from the pandemic economically. And I think that, um, as I said then, and I'll say now, we have to stay affordable and accessible, uh, leverage the federal funding that may be out there, um, developing partnerships with business leaders and companies uh, to be able to um, ensure that every student and every member of our community that needs to come back and either finish their education, start a new workforce program or upskill to be able to get reemployed has access and the program support to do so at Miami-Dade College. We also have with us your colleague at Broward College, President Gregory Hale. President Hale, a state Senate president, Wilton Simpson, said late last year that raising state university tuition was a, quote, viable opportunity to fill the budget gaps created by COVID-19. Do you have any indication that the legislature is considering raising state college tuition as well? Thank you, Jessica. I don't I don't have any clear indication of that, but I imagine that some of the same considerations are are being um, same discussions are being had around state colleges as well, particularly when you consider state colleges have essentially had the same tuition cap for probably about 10 years or so now. Um, We know who we serve has been well described, very low income students with tremendous needs. And one of the questions that we have to answer, because it's not as direct as to say if we increase tuition, whether or not that increase will go transfer to the student. We know that there's been an increase in um, the rate of Pell Grants and Pell funding. Um, we know that most of our students are Pell Grant recipients as well. So there's also the dynamic of whether or not those funds would actually be borne by the student or in fact would actually be borne by um, by, Pell, uh, by Pell funding as well. Right, so it's, it's, I see what you're saying. If there's a tuition increase, um, that may not actually end up uh, affecting students' pockets because it just may be, you know, more tuition that's covered by federal grant dollars. Do you I think? think do you think if there's a tuition increase at this state university level, that could drive up college enrollment since some students might be priced out of state universities? The tuition at state universities is right now nearly twice uh, what it is at colleges. I don't know if there's evidence to support that. Uh, it certainly could be the case, but I don't know uh, if there's any uh, empirical evidence to support that. But what I would suggest, though, is that particularly if we're thinking about the students that community colleges or state colleges are intended to serve. Um, right now, we're not talking about uh, whether or not our numbers are going up. Our numbers on a whole are going down at our state colleges. We know that our students have been impacted more so than any other sector of the higher education population. So the question becomes, in my view, how do we actually go out and get those students, many of which, frankly, Jessica, don't even realize the opportunity for funding for these resources because they're dealing with the day-to-day challenges that, of course, have been exacerbated over these last 12 months. So the question that I'm intent on making sure that we answer is how do we actually go out and get those students particularly those who are living in communities with 10 plus percent unemployment, despite the fact that we're at 6.6 points of unemployment in Broward. We know that the communities that we are designed to serve are not in that category. They are in double digit unemployment and their families are stressed uh, beyond what most of us can imagine. And President Hale, we've seen tens of thousands of South Floridians just drop out of the employment system. So they're not captured by the unemployment numbers, the way that the uh, statistics are, are gathered. You, you mentioned a drop in, um, uh, in, in students. I think that's what you're referring to. How, how big of a drop, what does enrollment look like for Broward college? 
Sure. Yeah. Our fall in the fall, we dropped about nine points. Um, and this is not a typical you're seeing nationally. Um, some state colleges at 20 points, but it's been about 10 points in decline for our community colleges. And as you can imagine, and you can guess, that is in large part because of those who have been impacted greatest by the pandemic. So that's roughly about what, five or 6,000 fewer students at Broward College? That's you, you're, you're, you're in the ballpark. Yes. Mm. Uh, President Pomariega, what about Miami-Dade College? Does it, uh, does it still hold that uh, title of uh, uh, the largest community college in the nation? Um, still holds that title, uh, just like we're seeing, um, as my colleague just said, um, we are seeing enrollment declines in community colleges, which are really atypical. Typically, when the economy declines the way that it does, you see enrollment at community colleges increase. But I think it is absolutely related to the pandemic and the economic impact most of our students and their families are seeing. We are about... Um, 7% down right now at Miami-Dade College. We've uh, cut into that since the fall. We were more around 12% down. And as President Hale mentioned, we have really done a full court press um, from the beginning of the year, finding those students that have stopped out. This is the time to reinvest in their education and get those skills that they need so they can compete for the jobs that will come back. And so We've been working with our students and they've been coming back and re-enrolling yeah. and especially taking advantage of some of our new programs, a rapid credentials, uh, micro credentials of sort, and looking at really um, building just not on the associates, but from certificates all the way through to the baccalaureates. So if you're seeing about a 7% drop, President Pumariega, that's eight to 10,000 fewer students, roughly? That's about roughly or about about 8,000. And again, we continue to see those numbers, um, students re-enrolling. So we're hoping to continue to get that number somewhere around 6%. But um, yep. And, and both of you have mentioned, you know, how financially stressed your students are. To put that into context a little bit, at Miami-Dade College, just about half of students live below the poverty line, and more than half are the first in their families to go to college. And at Broward College, a survey last summer found that nearly three-quarters of students were struggling to find stable housing or get enough food to eat. President Hale, what are you doing to help the most vulnerable students finish their degrees, stay in school and, and finish? So, so just to elaborate a little bit on your point, Jessica, I was talking to a student a few weeks ago, um, an absolutely star-studded student, uh, a leader um, among our student body. And we were having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and he shared with me um, that he does have a job. He lives in a small home with his family. Um, he rides his bike um, to his work and he does not have any Wi-Fi at home. So after going to work, what he does is he goes to the nearest Dunkin Donuts and he leverages the Wi-Fi at Dunkin Donuts mm -hmm. and he is struggling in an extraordinary fashion. And so when we think about the resources that our students need, we have to continue to put ourselves in their shoes. That is Wi-Fi. That is the technology divide is exacerbated like we've never seen. We know that the transportation challenges for those of us who do have still some classes 
um, for those students who don't have the technology infrastructure to support their, their academic success. They don't necessarily have the transportation. So what we've done is we've built a partnership with Lyft, for example, in which for free, Lyft will cover the cost of a student who is at their home and goes to our campus and then we'll take them back home for free. We also have a partnership with them that extends to them going from campus to campus. We've had an extraordinary partnership with FPNL that has provided 400 laptops for students. We've also restructured how we actually invest in our students. And that included last year, uh, thank you to the work to, of our great board, being able to uh, create a, an investment strategy that looks at our resources, does an actual account of cost per student, say, where does our funding need to be? And what that meant to us was increasing our student to advisor ratios. That is a critical component of helping our students in this environment. We went from 701 to 300 to one, embedded tutoring, food pantries. We now, as a result of the work of our board in this institution, have food pantries on each campus. That did not exist prior to the pandemic. And so these are the wraparound services that we know have to exist. And frankly, we have to grow in the investment of this work if our students are going to have a chance. Yeah, I think one of the things that the pandemic has really laid bare is these issues that, you know, other policymakers that maybe don't focus on education might not necessarily think of as being related to education, like transportation, you know, food, um, access to technology. But we found that those are the barriers that are getting in the way of, of students being able to succeed now. One last question um, for, for you two on, on this. Um, First Lady Jill Biden is leading a push for tuition-free community college in the U.S. The Biden administration has made that an important priority in the recovery from COVID-19. I'm curious if you support it and if you're doing anything to advocate for it. Um, President Hale first and then President Pumariega. So we are obviously an incredibly affordable institution and our state colleges and Miami-Dade College is incredibly affordable. Um, frankly, what I get most concerned about is the thought process of those who we seek to serve versus the reality. When we, the best we can do is make sure that our students understand that this will be an affordable option to them. You'd probably be very surprised by how many get turned away before they even start for fear that they can't afford it. Mm. So anything that tells a potential student, particularly coming from the lower income quintiles, that you will be able to afford this opportunity to transform your life, I am going to be supportive of. Mm. Mm. President Pomariega? Same, you know, I think um, anytime you can open up opportunities for students, especially remove those financial barriers um, to access higher education, I think it's important and supportive. But I just want to say what we've done in Florida, um, you know, thankful to the legislature, is keep college affordable for Floridians and and at least at Miami-Dade College, really make sure that we invest in those students that if um, they need access and, and financial aid support that we've done that, not only just working through the federal support programs, but through our foundation and the type of American dream program that we put together to be able to help families um, earn those 60 credits at no cost to them. Um, and so those are the types of things. And we're launching a, a, <clears throat> a program to help our Black students to make sure that the class of 2021 have an opportunity to come to college and also developing a scholarship pro mm. program. So I think it's a combination of everything that we're doing at the institutional level in terms of supporting students, our work 
uh, reaching out with early college programs and our school district, along with the federal type of packages and the increase to Bell. All of those things combined, I think, is what will drive access and affordability for those who need it the most, which are the students served by our colleges. President Pomaria, your efforts toward a black student, something we want to talk about next. Stick with us. Uh, the presidents of Miami-Dade College and Broward College along with us, as well as leaders from Florida Atlantic University, FIU, Florida International University, will rejoin us as we talk about how higher ed is reckoning with social injustice. It's coming up next. Welcome back to the Sunshine Economy here on WLRN. I'm Tom Hudson. And I'm Jessica Bakeman. The pandemic is not the only crisis that's been upending public higher education. There's also a movement to finally address racial injustice in the United States. After the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis last May, the uprisings that followed, many college and university leaders were among the first to speak out and make promises about how they were going to make campuses safer and more inclusive places for black students. Here's what Florida International University President Mark Rosenberg said during a virtual town hall in June. We see ourselves as a force for good. We see ourselves as a values-driven institution. And we suffer from optimistic urgency. We want to get things done. And there's no more urgent set of questions that we confront than the issue of enduring institutional racism and social equity. Ken Furton is with us, provost and chief operating officer at FIU. Uh, Provost, would you say that the administration is still suffering from what the president called optimistic urgency? Uh, Yes, absolutely. Uh, And President Rosenberg uh, launched an equity action initiative uh, led by our uh, vice provost for diversity, equity, and inclusion, El K. Hudson. And we have a number of different initiatives that we're moving forward on in order to address um, some of the uh, challenges that have existed in higher education, you know, for many years, including here at FIU. President John Kelly of Florida Atlantic University is also with us. President Kelly, back in August, you pledged to implement anti-racism and implicit bias training for faculty and students. You said FAU would open a new office focused on supporting black students and that the administration would review policies that could hurt marginalized people and evaluate general education courses to determine if they are inclusive. I'm curious what the status is of those changes that you promised to make at FAU and if you're going to you know, keep those as a top priority, even if the university is, is facing a budget crunch. Yes, we are. Uh, in fact, we're pushing forward on all of those initiatives in, in, in time of this difficult financial crisis when there are not as many students here. So you don't have quite as many voices, but we have used our Zoom capabilities um, to be able to reach out with diversity programs for our students. We've been able to create that office we described for a black student uh, student union. Uh, but we also had put originally, when I came here, I was really impressed with how diverse this university was. So it's a key element of our strategic plan. If you look at the plan that the university has, that is something we decided we were going to hold up and cherish and work hard toward making sure that we met the expectations. Um, we are a minority majority university. I think all four of the universities you're talking to today are minority majority universities. 
So a lot of us also are learning from each other. Uh, things that may happen at uh, Miami-Dade or may happen at Broward College. Yeah. Uh, we can continue those things and partner with them in the communities as well as with the students here on campus. President Kelly, I apologize for the interruption. We have just a minute left, and I want to hear from uh, President Hale at Broward and President Pumariega at Miami-Dade College about their efforts on campus. President Hale? Yes, well, just a, a little bit of a framework here. Um, we have about 17,000 Black students at Broward College, and some perspective here we have that is uh, larger than your largest HBCU in this country. Right. And so this is clearly an area of material focus for us. We have 19,000 Hispanic students as well. And one of the things that we think is the best thing that we could possibly do is one, remind our colleagues and our teammates that as an institution, uh, formerly a community college, a state college, we are designed to address those who face the greatest inequities, the greatest challenges. So that means those from the lowest income, that means those from other countries who may be first-generation college students as well as our local Black students. But one of the greatest things that we've been doing over the last two and a half years, not just over the last year, Real quick, is, President Hale, going, sorry. Is, going, is going into the heart of the community that need us most and making yeah. sure that they're ingratiated with post-secondary opportunities. President Pomariega, I'm sorry to give you just a few seconds, but I do want to hear from you. We're up against the clock. Go ahead, please. Absolutely. I just want to say our commitment, you can't just have access. You really have to have intentional, personalized academic support for our students that create academic integration, student engagement, professional development for our faculty and staff, um, as well as creating an environment that supports success and by fostering that kind of dialogue and inclusion and everything that we do throughout Miami-Dade College. And we're incredibly proud of the work we're doing and the work that still needs to be done and working with community organizations and partners um, as well. So thank you so much. To uh, the four uh, college and university leaders, thank you for your time. The leaders of uh, Florida Atlantic University, Florida International University, Broward College, and Miami-Dade College. Peter Meritz is our technical director. Polly Landis is our booking producer. I'm Jessica Bakeman. You can read, hear, and watch all of our Class of COVID-19 coverage at classofcovid.org. And I'm Tom Hudson. Thanks for listening and supporting public radio.